You know, when I, uh, when I was called to preach, it was after 15 years of leading worship, and that's what I was comfortable with. And this was a couple of years ago, and I asked the Lord, you know, how in the world am I going to come up <laughs> in trusting you, of course, but with, with all these different things I've, I've never preached my whole life. How, how, how are we going to do this? How are you going to fill me in this? And he said something very simple to me. He said, just tell them I love them. Just show them how much I love them and how much they mean to me. See, so it's simple. Understanding who Christ is and who he wants to be in your life really is encircled around love. And that message is a simple message, but yet it costs everything. And that's what I want to go through today because we celebrate, as I said, Easter where Jesus Christ rose from the dead. But I want to go through the process of his life. I want to go through the process of why he came to earth in the first place of why he wants a relationship with us, and why it costs him everything. And we're going to be using our Bibles a lot today, so um, if you have your Bible, get your fingers ready, or if you're like me and you have an iPad, <laughs> then uh, get your single finger ready. But we'll also have it up on the screen here. And the first verse is John 3.16, and everybody in here, I would dare say if we went through, we'd not find a single person that has not heard this verse. Okay? Everybody, if you, if you even watch sports on TV, you've seen this verse. Right? For years, they, they put it up in the background and everything else. So, John 3.16, and we're going to read 17 as well. But, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And I'm reading out of the ESV. Verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. I want to focus on a portion of verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. God loved you and me so much, His creation so much that He gave. He gave what? He gave His own Son. He gave His own Son so that we might have relationship with Him. Let's go back to the beginning, though. If, if you, how many, how many in here have heard? You see it on TV, maybe you've said it yourself, why am I here, right? Why am I here on this earth? Okay, that's a question that I want to answer today too, because it's really very simple. See, back before creation, God wanted fellowship. He created man for fellowship. He created man for love. Before man was created, the angels were created. But see, they were created with something a little different than what we have. 
Okay, Their capability of love was different than our capability of love. Simply because with them, they are in that realm with God, with Jesus Christ, and faith is not required. With us, it's required. See, we don't live in that realm. We don't see him like they see him. When, when Jesus created mankind, when he created Adam and Eve, he created them for fellowship. He created them for love. Not just love between the two of them, but love between them and God. See, God wanted love. God wanted love from us. That's why he created us in his own image. Turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27 say this. Then God said, let us, meaning the Trinity, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. See, at this point, God had already created the rest. And now it was down to the pinnacle of his creation. The very reason why he created in the first place was to create man and woman was to create a being that had the capacity to love him. But see, there had to be something inserted there that was a risk for God. A huge risk. See, in order for him to get love from us, he had to make it our choice. Have you ever had a relationship where you don't know how they feel about you? As much as you try, you can't make them love you. You can't make, you can't even make them like you. <laughs> right? So in a relationship, love is a choice of the person that's giving it. So in order to receive love, God had to give us a choice. It's this thing we call free will. This thing that allows us to choose him or not choose him. Choose to be obedient or not to be obedient. Choose to believe who he is and who he says he is or not to believe who he is or says he is. See, it's our choice. He had to insert that part into creation in order to receive love, in order for it to really be love, because it had to be our choice. Look at your own life and where you're at with Jesus Christ. Know that where you're at right now is because of your choice. It's not because of anything anybody else has done for you or against you. It's because it's your free will choice. It's our choice to believe in who he is. It's my choice to believe whether he created the world or not. It's my choice to believe that God the Father offered his son as a sacrifice for my sin. So that I might have eternal life with him. So that I might have relationship with him, not just when I get to heaven, but right here, right now. See, I stand here to tell you 
that you can have a relationship with him here on earth right now. But it's your choice. That's why he gives us free will. It's because when we choose him, we give him the love that he created us for in the first place. But there was another side to this that also made that free will really important. And it was somebody who took advantage of that free will. I want you to turn to Ezekiel chapter 28. And again, if, if you don't have a Bible or, or if you, you have trouble turning in that, we'll have it on the screen as well. But Ezekiel chapter 28, we're going to read verses 13 to 18. Actually, 13 to 15. But there was someone else in the Garden of Eden when, when Jesus was there with Adam and Eve. See, there was another created being that was there. And at, there was, at the point when, when the Adam and Eve were created, he had not fallen. We're talking about Satan. We're talking about Lucifer. He had not fallen at the point where we're reading right now. Okay, see, Satan took advantage of that choice that we have. Verse 13 says this. You were in Eden, talking about Satan, talking about Lucifer. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardius, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle. And crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God in the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways. See, we're talking about Satan here, verse 15. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. See, pride was found in Satan. And when pride came into his heart, the prize became you and me. The prize at that point became Adam and Eve. Because, see, he knew that God wanted love from them. He knew they had a choice. And he then gave them the option of that choice. See, what was birthed that day was what we deal with every day. We deal with this conflict in life. Some say good and evil, God, Satan. Bottom line, it is a battle over our choice. Don't be confused. There's not a third choice. The Bible says you are either for me or you're against me. There's not a third choice of ourselves. Why? Because we're within time. We're within this dimension. We certainly didn't create the world. We didn't create ourselves. So there is a choice to believe in who God is and what he says he is and what he said he did or not to believe in that. And see, Satan went after him. 
Satan went after him through Eve and then through Adam. And because of going after him, caused the fall that we recognize today. I think if we went around and asked everybody, do you see sin in the world? I think it would be pretty unanimous, yes. Yeah, there's sin in the world. There's difficulty in the world. Clearly, not everybody follows God. There are choices that everybody makes every day. But see, this all happened with one choice. And that was the choice of Adam. It's interesting when you read that. Let, let's turn to Romans 5. And as, as, you're, as you're turning there, it's interesting to really study the fall. And, and many of you have heard this. But, but when it talks about the fall of man, it doesn't talk about the fall being through Eve. Because, see, it says in Genesis that, in Genesis 3, that, that Eve was deceived. Okay, Eve was deceived by the serpent. Eve, Eve was deceived by Lucifer, but Adam wasn't. See, Adam made a clear choice, just like what faces us today. He made a clear choice of choosing to eat of the fruit. Because, see, it was a choice of doing that and being with his, his wife, this woman that, that now he loved desperately. And, and by the way, when, when you read Genesis and you, you read the history of everything, it's really easy to think all this happened really fast. Okay, but if you really study it, you, you come to a conclusion that, that there's, there's probably about a hundred years that has passed in the Garden of Eden from the creation to the fall. I don't know how long it takes you to get close to somebody, but it didn't take me that long to get close to my wife. Certainly not a hundred years. <laughs> you can imagine how attached you become. You can imagine how much you fall in love with that person, right? How much Adam fell in love with Eve. So when Eve was deceived and she ate of the one thing, the one fruit that God said, don't touch, the one thing, when she did that, she was deceived in doing it, and she offered that to Adam. See, Adam, by choice, took it. He knew what was coming. Said, Adam wasn't deceived. Adam knew that choice that he was making was bringing death. Why? Because that's what God said. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So now what was coming into their lives by his choice was understanding the power behind sin. So see, Satan knew that if he could get man to fall, it would take the love away from God. Let's look, Romans chapter 5, verse 12. says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Let's go down to verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life 
for all men. See, what it's saying here in Romans is it only took one. It only took one to bring sin into the world. Adam made that choice and brought sin into the world. And because of his sin, it brought with it death. See, prior to that choice, Adam was an eternal being. There was no death. In the Garden of Eden, it wasn't that they're getting old and they're going to die in a few years. There was no decay. But when he ate of the fruit and brought sin into the world, sin was coupled with death. So he brought death into the world. And as we read in verse 12, because of one man, sin entered into the world. And sin by death, or death by sin. Therefore, because all have sinned, then all deserve death. And what does that mean, all have sinned? Do you understand that, that Adam and Eve were the only created beings? Humans. And so all of us come from a bloodline of them. A seed line of Adam. So that sin that he brought into the world was passed down to each one of us. All along those lines. Everyone brought into the world past Adam and Eve were brought into the world in sin. And I, I know that can be a confusing thing because you, you look at a little baby and you think, well, they, they haven't sinned. Or you look at a little, even a 10-year-old and, well, they've only sinned a little bit. <laughs> they only, I just remember one lie they, they told that, you know, they're not bad. Do you understand? It's not, a, it's not a matter of bad or good. It's a matter of righteousness and unrighteousness. It's not a matter of a scale of how good a person you are. And I did this today, or I did that today, or I kept from doing this my whole life. I haven't done this my whole life. I'm good. Do you understand that it has nothing to do with good or bad? It has to do with righteousness and unrighteousness. And see, because of one man, verse 12 says, because of one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And therefore, all mankind received that through his seed. So see, you were doomed at the beginning. You were unrighteous from the beginning. It had nothing to do with what you did and what you didn't do. How many of you have to deal with problems because of your parents? Or because of your grandparents? Or because of your ancestors? How many nations deal with problems because of their ancestors? You see, we're not immune to having to deal with what comes before us. In righteousness and unrighteousness, none of us escape that. We are all born unrighteous. We are all deserving of the penalty of sin, which is death. Now, in that, that set up a scenario that had to make a change. Now, by the way, this was no surprise to God. God knew this was coming, and yet he still did it. 
for the sake of love. Remember, he wants love from us. So therefore, he is going to give us free will and give us choice. So that takes us in. We just read it, but that, let's read it again. Takes us down to verse 18. Therefore, one trespass led, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification for life for all men. So it's one act made us fall, but then by one act we are made whole. That's what it's saying. This is setting up what is going to happen, that the Father is going to ordain, and His will is to happen to give us opportunity for righteousness. Do you know that right now you have the choice from being unrighteous to being righteous? That doesn't make sense, does it? Just by a single choice, you can become righteous versus unrighteous. The penalty of sin is death. You can go from death to life by a simple choice. That blows me away. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 21 and 22. Since sin, sin came by one man, redemption also came by one man. Let's look at verse 21. Again, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 21 and 22 say this. For as by, <coughs> excuse me, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. What God introduces here is the idea that you had to have the same choice that caused the world to fall had to be the same choice that would cause it to be regaining life. So if sin came by one man, righteousness also had to come by one man. Well, see, God has an issue now. Because if we're born into sin, if we're born through the seed of Adam and we're born into sin, none of us have the capability of that righteousness. I mean, let alone, even if we weren't born into that, do you know anybody who has not sinned? Because if you do, I'd love to meet them. Because it doesn't exist. It can't exist. So God was, was faced with a problem here. A man had to redeem the earth. A man had to redeem humanity because a man caused it to fall in the first place. So only a man could do it. So God had a choice here. He sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to become a man, to live that perfect life so that we might have redemption. Let's look at John 3.16 again. Let's reread that. Remember, God had a choice. He loved mankind, but he knew only a man 
could redeem it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. See, this set up the need for the Savior. This set up a need for the Savior, a man who could live a perfect life. That's why God sent His Son. Because it had to be a man that could live a perfect life. One that was blameless. One that did not deserve death. One that was not born of the seed of Adam. You ever wonder why Jesus was born of a virgin? See, it's because the seed comes down through the man. That bloodline comes down through him. That sin comes down through man. So Jesus was born of a virgin. He was born without that seed, but yet he was born 100% man and remained 100% God. It was through that act that he could redeem the world. So God became man, and his earthly name was Jesus. We call him Jesus Christ. Christ is really a title. It's really Jesus the Christ. Christ is a title of the coming Messiah. And his name was called Jesus when he was born. I want you to turn to John chapter 6, verse 38. So now we, we have Jesus, and, and you know perhaps you've gone through the Gospels and, and, and went through his life and his birth and, and, and all of this. And much of the Gospels don't talk about his young life. It's an interesting study. There's really not much there. But what is mostly in the Gospels is his ministry here on earth. But we look at Jesus, and we look at what his purpose was here. And let's read this. John 6, verse 38 to 40. Say this. For I have come down from heaven. This is Jesus speaking. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but to raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up. On the last day. See, Jesus came by choice to this earth. Jesus came to be knowing full well what was going to happen. He came to this earth and he became a man, 100% man, by choice. But see, he had to come here. He couldn't do whatever he wanted. He had to go through life like you and I do. He had to be tempted like you and I do, yet without sin, the Bible says. He had to go through the hardships that we go through, 
Do you know something we don't think about? And I, I grew up with this thought, and it, it, it hit me a little later in life. See, I assumed, well, you know, he's 100% man, and he's 100% God. But he kind of knew all this. He knew what was going on. You know, he knew that, that by, by his death, people could have a relationship with God. But do you know that's not true? See, Jesus had to learn obedience. That might be new for some of you to hear. He had to learn obedience. He had to, through faith, learn who he was in his Father. Why? Because that was the human part of him. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 5. Never believe me, but let's go to the Word. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8 and 9 say this. Although he was a son, talking about Jesus Christ, Paul is, well, for those of you who believe Paul wrote this book, Although he was a son, meaning Jesus Christ, he learned obedience, how? Through what he suffered. He learned obedience. And being made perfect, or the Greek there is being made complete in his obedience, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. See, Jesus had to learn obedience. Jesus had to trust that what the Father was telling him was true. Do you know, why did he become man to be able, not, not only for the redemption of us, but he did it to be relatable to us. See, here on earth, we can't see the Father. We can't see Jesus without a special manifestation. If he wanted to manifest himself to you, he certainly can. But without that, we can't walk around and uh, uh, give me Jesus' address, I want to go visit. And we can't do that. Right? We live within three dimensions in time. Jesus Christ and God the Father and the Holy Spirit are outside of that. So we can't see them. So Jesus, becoming a man, he inserted himself into his own creation. Think about that. God, Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, inserted himself into his own creation, and he did it to redeem us, to live a perfect life, to be sacrificed so that we might know him. But it wasn't just for that. It was so that we might see an example in his life that we could follow here on this earth. See, do you understand Jesus had to have faith? We don't think about that because we, we know he's God. But when he was on this earth, he had to have faith in what the Father was telling him. Why else do you think in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Lord, if there's any other way, any other way for me to, to accomplish this task, please let it, let it come any other way. But yet, God, not my will, but thine. 
See, if he wasn't required to have faith, he would already know there was no other way. And if it was just a matter of him being a man and dying as a man, a perfect man to redeem us, why did he need to be born? Why did he need to go through adolescence? Why did he need to, you know, be raised up? It was because he had to learn obedience. Now, he didn't learn, when it says learn obedience, that wasn't out of disobedience. Because it says he was without sin. What it's talking about is obedience. We think of it as faith. Obedience to what the Father was telling him to do. The Father was saying, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to say. As you read in the Gospels, it says that every word he spoke, he said, are not of me, but they are of my Father. For I don't speak for myself. I speak for my Father. He learned that through faith. He learned to trust in what the Father was saying. It's no different for us. He did that as an example for us. We can learn through faith to trust what he is saying and doing in our lives. We may not be able to see in the spirit realm, but we can trust in the spirit realm. We can have faith that Jesus Christ is doing in us what he wants to do, and we let him do it. That's how this church came about in the first place. Was because I knew what he was calling us to do, and I trusted him. I had faith in what he told us to do, and continue in that. See, Jesus was the example of that. He lived a perfect life. He lived a sinless life, undeserving of any punishment. But yet he literally became sin for us. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 says this. 2 Corinthians 5 21. For our sake... He made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Who's who's he and who's him? Right there it's saying, For our sake he, God the Father, made him, Jesus the Son, to be sin. And Jesus knew no sin. Why? Why would he do that? So that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. So see, it was the Father's very will that Jesus, his only Son, be pinned with the sin that we have. With what we've done. The unrighteousness that we're cloaked in, he was pinned with that unrighteousness. He literally became sin for us and took on our sin. He knew no sin. You know, how, how upset do we get when, when we're accused of doing something we didn't do? We get all up in arms, don't we? Oh, no, you didn't. Right? We get really upset about that. I don't deserve that. I didn't do that. You're lying. Can you imagine how Jesus felt? 
See, it wasn't his own sin that he was pinned with because he was sinless. It wasn't just yours or mine. It wasn't just our generation. Or it wasn't just the generation that he was born into. He was pinned with the sin of everyone's sin. From Adam until the last person. I I can't fathom the weight of that. I mean, praise God he's God. Because that's the only way he could take on that weight. That's why Jesus did it individually for us. This wasn't a blanket thing that God is saying, well, good, you know what, I'll I'll die on the cross for sins and, and we'll just kind of throw the net out there and see what we get. Do you know he would have done that for you only? He would have done that for me only. Why? Because he didn't just take on sin as a blanket thing. He took on my sin. He took on your sin. He loved us so much and wanted to be with us eternally. That's that's what he did. Now, by the way, it was Jesus' choice to be inserted into his creation. He knew what was going to happen as God, but when he, from the moment he was inserted into creation, he had to have faith in the Father holding him, keeping him, just like we do today. It was by faith. 1 Corinthians 15. Just go back one book. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we, we've all heard this story about how Jesus died and was buried. And on the third day rose. And that's what we celebrate today in Easter. But 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 through 6 say this. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And I don't want to end there because it says in that, that he appeared to Cephas, who was Peter, then to the twelve, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep or passed away. See, it wasn't that God just said he rose from the grave and just trust me. He rose from the grave and he was seen. He was seen by those who he was with in his earthly ministry. He was first seen by Mary. Right? And then he was seen by his disciples. He was seen by, the Bible just said, 500 people. This is a physical thing, folks. This, this is physical proof of the raising of Jesus Christ. And, and we've talked about this before. You can imagine they were so distraught. And we've read that before about how distraught the disciples were when Jesus Christ died on the cross. See, because they didn't get what he said, that I will rise again. But do you know Jesus had to believe that by faith? 
He had to trust in his father by faith that the father would raise him from the dead. And he did. He made that choice. And he trusted. John chapter 20. I told you we were going to go to a lot of verses. John chapter 20. And I'm going to read a large section here. It's verse 1 through 10. And this, this is talking about the resurrection. This is what happened when Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Now on the first day, verse 1, John chapter 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. And this is three days later. While it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, who, was, by the way, was John. And by the way, it doesn't mean he didn't love the rest of them. <laughs> okay. And he said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stopping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there. Verse 7, And the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head. Not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then they went back to their homes. See, for some reason, they didn't understand what Jesus had been telling them all along. Don't worry, when I die, first of all, I'm going to die. But the Father has told me, when I die, I'm going to raise from the dead three days later. See, they didn't understand that. But then when it happened, all those things came flooding back to their minds. And and what what did John say? It it says there in verse 8, Then the other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first, also went in. He saw and believed. See, all that came rushing back to him that Jesus had told him. They were witnesses of Christ's resurrection. Christ had risen from the dead. See, that's, that's a, think about in their time frame what was going on. The persecution of Jesus Christ. Just a week earlier, Jesus had come into Jerusalem victorious. They laid down the palm branches. The Messiah has come. They're all shouting, Hosanna. We're excited because you've come to set up your earthly kingdom in power. Oops. (laughs) No, that's not what he did. See, because they misunderstood. Israel thought he was going to come in power. They were under Roman rule. They were under persecution. They thought he was going to come in power. To rule an earthly kingdom. But then he died. See, when he said that he comes to set up a heavenly kingdom. 
to give us the opportunity to be with him for eternity. Everything changed. You ever think of why in one week he goes from Mr. Popular to being on the cross? See, it's because he came to defeat something that could not be defeated humanly. He had to be perfect. He had to be God to defeat sin. He had to give his life, his perfect, sinless life to defeat sin. Because his plan was to be with us forever. Turn to John 14. I love this. See, because Jesus made, he had a plan to come and give us the opportunity for redemption. But see, it doesn't just end there. It, It isn't a choice of life or just life or death. Well, just saving my life versus going to hell. It is a choice of living an abundant life with him here but living a miraculous, amazing life with him in heaven. John 14, verses 2 and 3 say this, In my Father's house are many rooms. Some of your versions may say mansions. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. See, he doesn't just intend to leave us alone. When we accept him into our hearts, we receive a very special promise. That special promise is an inheritance that will come. That's what he's talking about in these verses. He's saying, you know what, I go to prepare a place for you. I know you're not going to see me, and we can't read all these verses, but he says later in John, you want me to go because I will send the Comforter, I'll send the Holy Spirit. He said, but not only that, when I go, I go to prepare a place for you. I go to prepare the time that we're going to be together. You understand, that's the culmination of everything that God wanted for creation. The relationship between you and Him. That's what He goes to prepare that inheritance when we've accepted Him into our heart. He goes to prepare that very inheritance that He promised us. And I want to go to the very end. This is projecting out at the end. Revelation 21. Revelation 21, verses 3 and 4. Now this is, this is the end of the end. This is after the thousand year reign of Christ. This is after Jesus Christ comes back the second time. And this time when Jesus comes back, he does come back in earthly conquer. He comes back and he will set up an earthly kingdom. And that's what the thousand year reign is. But what these verses are talking about is even after that. Verse 3 and 4 of Revelation 21 say this. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall be, there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. You see, because Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, he gave us the choice of righteousness. Remember at the beginning when I said, there's righteousness or unrighteousness. There's no middle ground. Right? You either deserve death, or you don't deserve death. All of us have been born in sin, so all of us deserve death. So how do we become righteous? How do we become where we do not deserve the very death that was brought in because of sin? It was because of Christ's righteousness. See, you've heard when, when Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, his blood was shed. We saw that in that video. That, that movie is such a, 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 an awesome portrayal of what Jesus went through. But in reality, it only showed the physical. Can you imagine having the sin of the world pinned on you and dying because of it? But see, it was that that gave us opportunity to be righteous. Because see, we can take on the righteousness of Jesus Christ by accepting him. When we accept Jesus Christ as Savior, His blood literally covers us. The Father no longer sees our unrighteousness because it is veiled by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So the Father sees us as righteous. Do you understand that? When we accept Jesus Christ into our hearts... To the Father, we become perfect because He sees us through Jesus. Doesn't mean that we're without sin. That all goes into the relationship that we have with Christ. We don't immediately become better people, good people. I don't sin anymore because I have Christ. No. I am made righteous because of Him. It has nothing to do with me. It is 100% grace. It is 100% what he did for me on the cross. I want you to turn to Ephesians 2. And we're going to close with just a few verses here. This lays out what it means to accept Jesus Christ into your heart. These next four sets of verses. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works or not a result of what you do so that no one can boast. 
See, if it was about something we did, it was about, if it was about living a good life, then we could take a certain amount of credit for it. But we're unrighteous. So we fail from the very get-go. So in order to be made righteous, we have to take on Jesus Christ's righteousness. He offers that perfectly and fully. Without cost, by the way. You don't have to die. See, his sin, or his, his death paid for our sin. You don't have to die for your own sin. You don't have to die to take on his righteousness and be seen as righteous from the Father. You just have to believe. And you have to accept. Turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 12. There's a key word in here. It says this. But to all who did receive him, that's the key word, receive, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. See, we have to receive what he is giving us. Even a gift that is 100% free, that you don't earn. When you, when you go downstairs for Christmas, okay, you're, you're all excited. You're getting a gift for Christmas. You didn't pay for that. Well, let's assume you didn't pay for it. Okay, Maybe some parents in here did. But let's, let's assume you're going down there and opening a gift that somebody gave you that the other person did all the work for or paid for. All you're doing is receiving that gift. Right? It's the same with Jesus Christ. You have to receive His free gift. It's not something you earn. It's not something because you're a good person. It has nothing to do with how good you are or how bad you are. See, Satan even goes the opposite direction and says, you don't deserve this. You don't deserve it because of what you've done in your life. But do you know, just as it does not require us to be good, it also has nothing to do with us being bad. It's a free gift. I don't know about you, but when I give a free gift, it's because I want to give it. When you're giving a free gift in the purity of giving it, in other words, without manipulation, you're not giving it to receive something back. You're giving it because you want to give it. Jesus Christ gave his life so that we might have life. There was nothing required in return except to receive it. Turn to Romans 10. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, begins to lay out what it means to receive that gift. Romans 10 verse 9 says this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. See, it doesn't say there that by being a good person we become justified. 
It says we have to believe with our heart who he is, what he did. And we confess with our mouth, literally receiving him into our heart. You know, salvation is a simple thing. Don't confuse it with living for Christ. Okay, because accepting Jesus Christ and living for Jesus Christ, they are two separate issues. One has a cost, one does not. Both have eternal ramifications and good, good gifts. But to accept Jesus Christ into your heart is very simple. It's simply believing who he is and what he did and expressing to him to receive him as your Lord and Savior. By doing that, you take on his righteousness. By believing that Jesus Christ, being the Son of God, was made man, lived a perfect, sinless life, and then that life was offered on the cross. He spent three days in the grave in payment for our sin. And on the third day, and this is key to believe, on the third day he rose again. The Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, rose Jesus Christ from the dead, sat him at his right hand. As we gather together right now, Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of the Father. That is his place of authority. He was given the name above all names. So see, we don't worship a dead God. We worship a God who is alive. See, because a a dead God couldn't pay for our sin. It had to be somebody who did not deserve death, took on death, but then conquered death. So by believing that, and then saying, Jesus, I believe, come into my heart, I accept you as Lord and Savior, And you have eternal life. Eternal life is that simple. But it's also that dramatic. It is a change. A literal change in your destination. In that moment, your destination changes. And then I want to read you one last verse. Because it's also important to understand that that decision is permanent. When we make a decision to give Christ our life, to accept him into our heart, he holds that in his hand. We don't. It doesn't change our destiny right then and then, well, now I've got to live a good life so I can keep my salvation. No. He holds it. No matter what we do. We can't even give it back if we wanted to. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 and 14 say this. 
In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in other words, what, what I was just talking about, believing who Jesus Christ is, he came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, rose from the grave, sits at the right hand of the Father. That's what it's talking about. The gospel of your salvation. And believed him. The moment that happened, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit immediately comes to dwell in your heart. Verse 14, why? He is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. So in other words, the Holy Spirit, when we accept Jesus Christ into our heart, we are given a guarantee. It's like, here's God's seal on our heart. This one will receive eternal life. And it will never be taken from them. So many times, just about every week, we talk about a relationship with Jesus Christ. You cannot build a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can't get to know who he is. You can't allow him to work in your life until you've done this one step. See, because he requires us to believe. When we believe and we receive him into our heart, then it opens up an entire life with him. It opens up the possibility of relationship and building that one-on-one relationship with him. So on this Easter day, 2016, I hope you'll look at your own position with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, Lord, 